Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Robotics. My name is Nikki Rousseau and I'm your host. My guest today is Professor Elizabeth Croft. Elizabeth is the Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Professor in the Departments of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering and Electrical and Computer Systems Engineering at Monash University. Elizabeth, welcome and thanks very much for joining me today. What a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Nikki. It's great to be here. Thank you. So you are a passionate woman about advancing women in STEM. Why is this so important to you? Well, I think it's really clear to all of us that we actually need more people in STEM. And when I say STEM, I say science, technology, engineering, and math, because sometimes we say STEM and we don't really hit on what that really means. And on this planet, we are facing some real challenges. We need sustainable energy. We need clean water. We have millions of people who are going to bed at night hungry and millions of people that are losing their lives uh, uh, early to, due to obesity. And if you look at the last year, when you see we threw a pandemic into the mix, there is a lot of work that needs to be done by people with science, technology, engineering, and math qualifications. And one of the ways that we can easily increase the people that are in these fields is to open it up and make sure that people who have been traditionally uninvited, traditionally excluded, are welcomed on, you know, people who on the basis of their gender, the sexuality or their disability, we have not welcomed into the, into the big party. That is, that is uh, these, these professions. And personally, I'm very passionate about engineering. And a lot of people don't understand what engineering is and why it matters. There's a lot of people who say, you know, fluid dynamics, it sounds kind of boring, but right now, everybody wants to know how air is circulated in their office, in their hospital, and of course, in hotel quarantine. And that's engineering. You want right now, lots of personal protective equipment, masks and gowns for the people working in those facilities for our health workers. And you want them available despite the short supply that and, and supply chain limits. Right in engineering, we've developed renewable materials for gowns that can be manufactured here in Australia. And that's engineering. You want a vaccine, you and 7.8 billion other people. We, as engineers, we build the factories, we design and operate the lines, uh, we, we figure out the logistics and the supply chain, we plan and monitor the infrastructure, we make sure it stays really, really cold when it needs to. All of those things you need uh, to deliver a vaccine. And that is engineering. So we have a lot of problems we want solutions for. And I would like to have as many different people from as many walks of life and from as many perspectives as possible working on it. I would like the brightest people in the world working on these problems. And we know half the brightest people in the world are women. And we know from their numbers that they're not participating in engineering. So I want to invite them over. I want to entice them uh, to join the party. And that I think when, in my experience, when women and girls find out what engineering is about and why it matters, they want to get involved. So I think it's important and I think it can be fixed. Since I've been at Monash, we have implemented a policy around hiring about gender balance shortlist. That means when we interview, we do not go forward with our shortlist until our shortlist is 50% higher
highly qualified women who are perfectly able to be in that competition. It means we, when we do a search, we actually search. And it, sometimes it takes longer to find those people, but it's not about quotas. There are no special roles. It's just to making sure that we are looking for and inviting women to be part of our faculty and part of the great adventure that is engineering. And I want to make it really clear that getting the best people involved in engineering is more than just bringing in women. Engineering and STEM more broadly need to reflect our community. There are mountains of, of in evidence that indicates that diverse teams make better decisions and make better designs. And we need that diversity in our practice. So that is why it matters. I can hear the passion in your voice as you're telling me this, you know, um, I've just spoken to Ruth Harrison, who's um, also got an aerospace degree. She's up in Brisbane and she started this returnship to work for women, um, mature age women, and our mature age women are the best women, in my opinion, because we've got just so much experience um, that have got STEM backgrounds. And for some reason or another, they've dropped out of the industry. And she started a whole business that she's getting companies um, like a returnship for six months to mentor women back into the workplace. And if they keep the woman after that's fine, but it's given her a safe place to sort of get, get up to speed with her skills again. That's fantastic. And that's really what we need to do. We need to invite. It's, it's not that they're not there. It's yeah. just that they have not been invited or they've been pushed out and we need to bring them back in. I couldn't agree with you more. So you were voted in 2014 as one of the most, uh, 100 most powerful women in Canada. So I'm just absolutely delighted we've got you in Australia. But when did you come here and what was your motivation? So um, I started, oh, I, I came over over Christmas. Uh, so I started here in 2018. Um, and I came to Australia to be Dean of Engineering. Um, because I knew that we had a fantastic higher education system here, and I was really impressed by Monash. I have to say the opportunity in that faculty was something I could not say no to in, in, at that university. Um, I love going to work at a place that cares so much about research and education and really wants to bring them together, that has such a passion and mission for doing world-changing research and has such high ambition. I was attracted by the fantastic platforms for research. We have the world's best and, and most uh, amazing microscopes. We're next to the synchrotron. We have a nanofabrication facility. You know, it just goes on and on. And what we're doing in um, engineering, in biomedical fields, and, and just across, you know, across the entire university, what people are doing is absolutely fascinating. The other thing I think is amazing is the international reach. We have campuses in Malaysia and in China and in India and the opportunity uh, to collaborate and to have an impact um, you know, across such a broad range of you know, diverse areas and, and diverse jurisdictions is absolutely fantastic for me. I think so. it's also really exciting about Monash is there a commitment to sustainability. We have our net zero 2030 commitment um, we treat our campus as a living lab where in terms of energy, which is a really big, important thing in engineering, um, our buildings are simulating and actually 
actively trading energy. So when one building, you know, has excess energy, energy, it's being transferred over to other buildings. We're working on how we manage a microgrid and manage energy um, in, a, in a campus on, in Clayton that's the size of a small city. And so the opportunity to do research at scale, to, to have an impact at scale, to really look at what are the critical missions, environmental missions, social missions, health missions on this planet and have an impact, couldn't say no. Oh, it's, well, look, it's our game. That's, it's, it's Canada's loss and it's our game. So what was the biggest challenge that you faced coming over? Like, um, you know, I know you've got a family. Um, what, how did you navigate all of this? Um, actually, uh, well, I have to say, I give all my credit to, to my partner, my husband, who's, who's fantastic. He's also an engineer. Um, and he engineered a fantastic uh, a transfer for us. I had good friends also who were already in Australia who, who made it easy. And I think the university made it, made it really easy. Um, I left, uh, well, one of my daughters had already moved to France. So she was on her way. Uh, she's doing fantastic things. Uh, sadly, um, I left behind great family, my daughter and my dad in Vancouver. Um, and that's hard, especially with the border shut. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but I brought one daughter. I think she's had the hardest time, but she's been fantastic too. So, you know, the transition's been pretty good. People are friendly. Um, Melbourne is a very diverse and multicultural city. Uh, so it felt very comfortable to me as a Canadian coming to a very diverse and multicultural city in Vancouver. Um, and people are very friendly. And so, you know, once you kind of get the time, so they sense the humor and understand where the good coffee is, it's all pretty good. Um, there are some real differences that I've learned to navigate. And um, one of the things I was not expecting is sort of the Australian culture around internships. So when I was at um, University of British Columbia, um, I, I'm used to students going out, um, you know, we sent out 2,200 students every year to do work internships, paid internships. And I came to Australia and that's just not a culture of students having those paid internships. We call them cooperative education. That wasn't happening. And there was all these rules and regulations and reasons, a lot of reasons why we could not do things. And so I'm trying to turn it around right now um, and work uh, with the government and work with other uh, organizations to make that possible because I think there's a huge opportunity for students when they have the opportunity to work in companies uh, during their uh, undergraduate degree. Um, I think it increases the opportunities for the students. It's fantastic for companies. It's try before you buy. It makes the education process more rewarding for students because they really get to see what they're doing, get some real experience, some hands-on experience that they bring back into the classroom and bring back to their great student teams like this one and apply. So what, and when they graduate, they are off and running. I mean, our students are fantastic. Australian student, engineering students are the best in the world, but this, is, this could really put it on hyperdrive. And in a time when we really need to build back our economy, when we really need to um, invest in our big build and we need more engineers, um, we produce half the number of en domestic engineers that we need. We are one of the lowest in the uh, OECD in terms of production of domestic engineers. 
we need that. We need to build on that for our economy, especially when our borders shut and we can't import them. We so that's that's something that uh, I found really different. Look, I, I agree with you completely. I think um, when you're doing a teaching degree and training to be a teacher in, in um, Australia, that's one of the, the obvious places because it's just the environment is set up for you there and they, they have to take these young teachers in. But other professions aren't set up there. And I definitely think it's to our detriment because I see graduates coming out and they've actually got no idea to, to navigate the business world that they're suddenly thrust into. So not only are they on the spot because they're young graduates and they, you know, they have to put their, their knowledge to test, but they don't actually have social you know, cues as to even how to navigate most things today. Yeah, so it's, it's really important. We're, we're working on it, and I think this is going to be a huge opportunity. It's going to change the, the education landscape here. So um, your engineering faculty is, is top in Australia and one of the top in the world or the top 100. Tell us about it. How many people do you have working there? Like, how is it all set up? I was looking at your, your job title. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you do everything you do. I just know you are very, very busy. Well, first of all, I have a fantastic team. I have amazing academics. I was just uh, writing them to, um, to them this morning because uh, one of our academics had just uh, released a really great report on how we had in, you know, basically in a, in a span of two weeks, gone from an on-campus, fully on-campus delivery faculty to a fully online uh, delivery faculty and we are very much a lab-based, um, you know, lab-based, hands-on, you know, doing things kind of educational delivery. And so I would start with really amazing people. Some of the, you know, uh, they're very diverse. They come from all walks of life, from all corners of the planet. And they are devoted to education and research to bring it together. And so I would say that that, you know, People make all the difference in the world, and we have fantastic people who really are passionate and care about what they do. And they did a, an amazing job last year, and I know that, and, and they've always done an amazing job, and I know that this year will be even better. Although I'm really hoping that we'll be doing more of it on campus. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing I think what I will go back to is the, um, the kind of research su support for research that we have at Monash, the support for PhD students. Uh, the support for undergraduate research, uh, the kind of uh, infrastructure that we continue to develop and continue to invest in has really been important, whether it's the, you know, building our really strong compute in infrastructure, like I say, the centers for doing um, nanofabrication, um, the investments we're making in robotics and, and in microgrid, uh, the investments we're making in plant scale technology, where you can really see how things go from, you know, it's nice to have the little tiny thing in the Petri dish, but actually how things scale up is really important. I and I would also say that our university industry collaborations, which continue to grow, we have a huge partnership uh, with uh, Woodside, and that is all about going to clean energy, right? How do we make that transition uh, to hydrogen, to clean energy? And you know, bring getting inside and being able to transform uh, major industry is something that um, is really exciting because then you have real impact. And so these kind of partnerships that uh, we are able to develop um, 
where we can actually have our, you know, our PhD students uh, really, you know, dig into some really, really difficult problems, uh, working with some world-class researchers and wonderful people uh, from, from different companies, whether, you know, it's the Australian energy market operator or, you know, all the different companies, the Bosch's, the, uh, well, just so many different companies that we're working with. It, it's really fantastic. So that's been, that's been exciting. I would also say, again, our student body, our student teams, they are, they're amazing. We have um, just a huge number of them, motorsport. They have an electric car, an autonomous car. Um, we have high-powered rocketry. We, we have the Mars Rover team, best team in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, they, they compete really with you know, top universities around the world. We have teams on autonomous vehicles, unmanned aerial systems. We have med tech innovators and we have the robo gals and just too many to list. And even with the challenges of last year, our student clubs and teams were getting recognition from NASA, placing in the Asian Student Supercomputer Challenge and even winning awards for concrete. They don't just come and learn, they engage, they act. Um, we've just built in, uh, and furnished a brand new makerspace with all the different uh, manufacturing tools um, and instrumentation tools to, that they need to compete. And we are just bringing the students in and they are absolutely loving it. And we have amazing education facilities. Um, we, you know, it's, we don't do chalk and talk, right? We really yeah. need to be uh, advanced and what we have been able to do in terms of um, building uh, facilities that allow students to truly engage. So the new Woodside Building for Technology and Design um, with these wonderful interactive um, classrooms that allow us to teach online and in-person at the same time, bringing teams together. And also the building itself is the world's, I think, well, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's passive house it's one of Australia's um, largest uh, buildings that has these energy principles in it. It is Australia's smartest building. That building is instrumented with strain gauges, so we know how the building moves. It's instrumented with all the energy sensors. And um, of course, it's got the solars, solar on the roof and all the um, passive house design principles in it. So our students can learn from it. And we had a wonderful, number of units that we taught last year where the students were getting the data out of the building, doing that with machine, using machine learning to model the behavior, interacting with also data that was coming out of our weather station next door in the Jock Marshall Reserve and putting that together and really seeing how this building is operating in real time using big data principles. So it's just wonderful to, for our students to be able to engage industry 4.0 this is building 4.0, yeah. and that is what we have. The other thing I think is wonderful is, again, the way that we are international. We have a global reputation. We have our, as I said, we have these campuses in China, India, and Malaysia, and our students uh, work across those, those uh, different campuses. So we co-teach uh, with our colleagues in Malaysia, students get together, and they have international experiences without even leaving the classroom as it were. Of course, we're looking forward to borders down and actually flying over again. But even with um, you know, the restrictions that we have on right now, our students get 
opportunities and our researchers, of course, because of those platforms in, in Suzhou and in um, Malaysia and in India are fantastic research platforms where again, we are having a huge impact with the work that we do. Listen, and I think all these countries, I think South Africa actually had a campus, uh, campus there as well. I don't know whether it's still up and running. It sounds as though it's not. But um, for all these countries, the collaboration and learning, it's just absolutely fabulous. Yeah, in fact, what we're setting up right now and has just been announced is a campus in Indonesia. And that is a huge thing that's going to be quite exciting because there's a place where uh, with engineering, with business, and um, with our, you know, with design and arts, we can really have an, an impact and, and work with um, the people there to make a, a huge impact with it, a very large population. So, um, and that I think is built on Monash's history of being really involved um, through the new Colombo plan and the Australian history of being a leader in Southeast Asia and in the, uh, in the Asia Pacific. And so I think taking that opportunity is something that Monash does really well and is a leader. Yeah. So um, you were going to launch an undergrad in mechatronics and robotics when you just when you came and spoke to the Melbourne Robotics Meetup Group at the end of 2019 and then yeah. COVID hit. So what, what happened to it? How many it students was, did you have? It was fantastic. Yeah. It is, you know, so last year um, students came in droves. And as of uh, checking yesterday, we now have 250 students enrolled in robotics and mechatronics engineering, which is amazing. Um, and 70% of those students are focused on the AI stream and the remainder are really looking at um, automation and industry 4.0. And when we first started to move to those classes online, we were really, you know, understandably a little bit worried about how it was going to work. But it, it turns out that we did just fine. Um, we set up the robots in the labs for students to control at home. Um, we set up assignments actually for across our disciplines for students to do using um, things that we had at home. Um, and what they didn't have at home, we, we shipped to them. So we shipped circuit boards and uh, pieces of kit. Um, we had students zooming in to the labs um, where they could control the labs online. Um, as I mentioned, we used uh, the Woodside building as a big piece of, uh, of kit that they could you know, pull all the data from and do all sorts of work with. So it was actually quite amazing. Um, and what we found out also is that women love robotics. And we have found that we have a really, a much per capita, there's more, more women going into um, into uh, the mechatronics and robotics program than there ever have been before. So it seems like the message about the value of robotics and the excitement of that area has got out and we are able to invite and attract these intelligent young women to come and study because they see the opportunities to really make a difference in this field. Oh, so yeah, I think uh, congratulations, I think that's yeah. absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. So I spoke to Donna um, Kulik-Loshi and she said, um, your new robotics precinct was nearly finished. Is it, is it up and running or is it, how are you going? So uh, March, there's still uh, lots of people. There's still like the blue tarps up and they're, they're working away and, uh, and I go past it pretty much every day. But I am told that the precinct will be opening in March 
and we will be moving in. We've already got, um, we have a temporary lab and we've been doing a lot of research and um, some really interesting um, some work that's being done. Um, but I'm really excited to bring everybody together with the robots in our new facility and uh, see the magic happen. So yeah, it's, it's coming along. Stay tuned. Um, so oh, it's fabulous. Big opening soon. Please, and please invite me so I can just, after all the, all the VIPs, I'll come in often and come and have a look. <laughs> oh, we're going to open it at least six times. You know how yeah. it goes. Yeah, oh, I love that. Okay, so starting from the top, VIPs, we'll work down. <laughs> so Monash is hosting the Australian Robotics and Automation Conference this year, also known as ARAC. What can we look forward to there? Well, we're still in the early days of planning, but of course, you know, the um, it'll be exciting to open up our... Um, Robotics Precinct and invite everybody in. We'll have great demos, of course. And of course, our, our fantastic student teams like the Nova Rover and the autonomous car teams. Um, I'm sure we're gonna see lots of what they're doing. We will have um, some of the work that we've been doing um, you know, in mobile robotics and social robotics in um, human assisted robotics will be there as well. So I think that will be, be fantastic. Um, we'll be able to do tours of the wonderful teaching spaces as well. And again, the Woodside building and, and some of the other labs as well. So uh, I'm sure people will enjoy coming to Melbourne. I hope. <laughs> Let's hope they keep the open the borders um, and we can have people come in and join us because, um, you know, I'm actually really excited to see people come, you know, the, 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 the Australian robotics is very vibrant and there's some fantastic people across the country who are doing amazing work in all sorts of areas and so it'll be super to bring people together um, to get to know people a little bit more at least for me um, and to see what we can do together as a nation because you know Australia has fantastic people and it has a wonderful opportunity you know agricultural robotics um, I think we are early adopters and we can do a lot of things here, you know, in the social robotics and in the manufacturing space, because we need to, because we need to be given a small population, we need to be more creative and more inventive. And that I think we're going to see here with, you know, across the spectrum. So stay tuned. It's going to be uh great. I'm looking forward to it. So focusing a little bit on your work, uh, traditional robots are designed to work in non-human space. Um, robots today are being designed for collaboration with humans. Um, when we spoke last, you ran a, pro a project of Monash about um, handing over objects. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I've been interested in all the different interactions that people and robots have together, sort of in an everyday space. So one of the most common things that um, you do when you're interacting with somebody is you, you hand stuff back and forth. And so uh, we've been working for quite a while on sort of trying to understand how that happens and how people do it and learning from that to apply that to how robots can work with people in handing things back. And so the things that we have been working on is, first of all, we, you know, we established the, uh, what I call the rules of engagement. So by using instrumented um, devices that we got people to hand back and forth, we learned the rules of engagement, which is that the giver is responsible for the, the safety of the object and the receiver is responsible for the timing. Because the giver of an object does not let go until sort of they know that the receiver 
from force measurements or force tactile um, sensing, they know that the receiver has fully got the object. And depending on how fast the receiver takes the object, that, that really controls the speed of the interaction. So that was one piece. And then we instrumented our robots so that they could be able to do that. But then what we really wanted to understand is how could we make it even more fluid by making sure that the robot was reaching to the right place and that the humans you know, understands what, what, what the robot's intent is. So we've looked at gaze cues. Um, we're now bringing in augmented reality. So with the HoloLens headsets, we're starting to demonstrate what the robot's intent is. So we can see where the robot's planning to hand over the object. Um, we've also looked a lot at how the robot should hand the object because different objects should be handed over in different ways. So if I'm handing you over a pen, it's not really great if I hand you the pen with the pointy end at you, right? You know, you want me to hand the pen in a way that it'll be easy to grab. Um, so it's important to teach the robots and to learn about objects and how they should be handed over. So there's a lot of work in trying to um, help people and robots collaborate just in these simple things like handover. You know, it's very interesting because I spoke to uh, Professor um, Wendy um, up in, in Brisbane who was doing the work with Paro, uh, the mm -hmm. SEAL, and she made the observation that a lot of um, work that's done in, in laboratories it's with robots, it's not actually designed to go out in the field and that you've got these robots that are working and they, they're fine in their environment, but when you put them out amongst people, they're pretty useless. So what... <laughs> She probably didn't say it quite as strongly and bluntly as that, but um, what do you say to that? Well, I think there's a lot of work, which is why right now we are working on a, a project called Robots in Public Spaces. And so this is a collaboration between people that work in human geography and ethnography, uh, people that work in public policy, and engineers who are interested in human-robot interaction to really understand um, what are the needs and expectations and desires of people who will encounter robots in public spaces? How robots should operate in those spaces? What should be the rules of engagement? And to actually invite people to be part of the co-design process of developing um, publicly accessible robots. Because I agree, you know, it's all great. We design these fantastic robots, but we really need to understand the other side of that, which is um, how people interact. And, and that is really sort of why I think, you know, human-robot interaction is such an interesting field because what re people really do is often unexpected, right? And so making sure that we under, understand, we test, and that we are prepared for the unexpected because that's what we know about people is they, they do the darndest things. And so, developing behaviors and strategies that robots can use to manage their own behavior in those and respond to those unexpected behaviors is part of designing robust, um, viable solutions. And really also, I think the other piece is to really make sure that we de define the rules of engagement, right? We, and we make those human rules of engagement. That's not that the robots are defining what we do, but that we as a society who are going to have robots in our environment get the opportunity to 
to define how we expect robots to engage and operate in our environment. It really should be public led. Um, and I think so that's something that we're really interested in looking at in this project. So delivery robots in a way would be a good example of this because um, when you came and you spoke to us, you, um, you gave us a show of the delivery robot navigating and then following someone to the easiest yes. path of least, least resistance is following something. What's, hap what's happening in the space and do you know of any delivery robots in, in Australia? So I am not aware of uh, any, uh, any uh, delivery Delivery robots yet in Australia. Um, we are continuing to work on that. On that, and um, so we've built a big model or, and, and of um, robots traveling on the Monash campus. So hopefully this year we're going to be having our um, some of our jackal robots uh, wandering around the campus, uh, doing what I call pedestrian surfing, which is following groups of people to help them with the wayfinding. The the campus is fully mapped. So we do have that capability, but of course, when you go around the Monash campus, there's always, no matter where you go, there's always construction, it seems. And so, you know, following pedestrians is a great way to manage uh, this idea of not having perfect maps. And so we will, we will be doing some testing of our pedestrian surfing on that. We're also, again, looking at, um, uh, some pro a project in uh, robots working in um, warehouses, because that's another area where right now what happens is there's the area of the warehouse that's fully roboticized and nobody's allowed in there. And then there's the area where the people work. And what we're interested in is now starting to bring robots in for shelf stocking and monitoring. I know that some of that's actually happening in, in Australia where you have robots that are, you know, after hours going and checking shelves. But what, when you start to have robots, you know, in the middle of the day wandering around Woolies, um, their behavior needs to be managed. And so we are looking at how that will happen and how people will understand their behavior um, and uh, what we can do to design and control systems that are easy for people to program and use. Look, from, uh, from my experience with robots, I think people need to be, be managed as well because if... <laughs> If kids come to my robots, the first thing they do is they start pressing buttons and you want to go, <laughs> leave, leave. <laughs> so. well, yeah, as a famous Australian, Rod Brooks once said, never have a button on anything that doesn't have a purpose, right? You know, if there's a button there, it better be meaningful and useful. He was, yeah. he's, a, he's quite he's right. Critical. Yeah. So, so um, something that's quite important, you know, mentoring and um, I'm, I'm listening to your enthusiasm and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sure you're attracting to women to, to your department just because you're there and because you're so passionate about what you do, because I think women actually like seeing other women in positions that they can go, I can emulate and I can, I can strive for this. What, what do you think? Did you have a mentor yourself in, in your earlier years? Um, do you think it's important to have one? Oh, I had a lot. Yes. Okay. So I think, first of all, yes, it's important not to have one mentor, to have many, many mentors. I think it's critical. Um, and I think it's both uh, mentors that are in front of you and then mentors that go with you. So I believe in, I believe in mentoring and I believe in peer mentoring. And, and both of those are important. So, you know, if I think about, obviously, you know, for me, um, my mom was a huge mentor for me. Uh, she was a uh, 
uh, became a doctor when when women didn't become doctors, right? So she's one of a very few people that graduated when she graduated uh, from medicine. And um, you know, she was she had a, just a continuation of first in her career. And so um, that's probably why I I've ended up being where I am is because it's never bothered me that I might be the first to do something because it's just just do it, <laughs> you know, get on That's with it. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Move along. Um, but then when you're in there and, um, and things get, you know, sometimes you wonder whether you're crazy, you know, stuff happens and it's, you know, it's the sense checking for me that was really important to, to learn that I wasn't, you know, that what I was, whether, you know, if I had these experiences where things weren't quite right, you know, to be able to talk to people and especially peer mentors and go, you know, when these things happen, is am I crazy or is that really, you know, so those, that was really important. Um, people to um, give good advice. And the thing with mentors, is, the wonderful thing about mentors is you can choose to take the advice or not. Some mentors give you fantastic advice sometimes and then they give you crap advice the other time. And it's, it's about making the decision because up to you. But the, and the other thing that's really important to have, I think, is sponsors. Those are people that, um, you know, may not talk to you all the time, but they, they're aware of you and they're positive about you and they can often point direction and in behind the scenes make, make a big difference for you. So, and how do you, you know, and then people say, well, how do I get mentors? And um, I think the most important thing is to be um, always out, uh, smile, be positive, uh, be willing to do, if you're out there and you're participating and you're engaging and you're putting hand, your hand up to do things, um, you're being visible and people will naturally want to talk to you and support you. And so I think that that part about you get more than you give mm -hmm. is really, really true. So I think every time I have stepped forward uh, been on a, a committee or a organization group or done a talk to three, you know, to groups in grade three or all of those things. Yeah, I was giving, but I, I believe that I got way more than I gave all the time. So yeah. I think, I, I think it is important, but I think it's, that's part of being part of community. And it's important to find your tribe, find your community, and, and then the mentors will be there. Yeah, I think um, I, I was speaking to a friend of mine and said, I, I, I feel a little bit uh, tribeless at the moment because we're going in lockdown and um, my office is basically where I have my startup company is, is where I go and I chat to people. But um, do people give you feedback? Like do people, you know, when you're doing stuff and do people come up to you and tell you you're doing a good job or like, or do you get your husband to tell you this? So I find like in... I find our society is very, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I got, I don't actually know whether I'm doing a good job or not. You know, I'm just doing it because no one's actually said to the contrary, listen, you, you, you stuffing up here, you're making a mess. Not that I, I, I think I am, but they don't actually come and say, listen, this is a fine job you're doing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that, um, I think you not not always get immediate uh, feedback, but you'll get feedback kind of, you know, after the fact or around about. I think the most important person, you know, you have to believe in you and you have to believe that the things that you are doing are right. Um, and, and that's really what matters, right, is to, 
is to do that. I think it is really important to seek feedback because you know people are not necessarily going to um, you know jump up and say that you're doing a fantastic. But I always I always do ask how I can do things better, and that's something that's really important for me because I do believe in the process of continual improvement. You know, if I gave a talk or if I, you know, if I was helping a student, I always ask for the feedback, right? How can, how can I do this job better? How can I make uh, what we're doing better? Is there a better way that we can, you know, do our research together? And I also think that, you know, part of the feedback that I get is by observing how other people do things and asking questions about the way that they, they operate or the, the research that they're doing and find out more about them. And then often there's sort of like a, a reciprocation. So I think feedback is two way. And so by, by giving, giving feedback, you also have that opportunity to receive feedback. So um, yeah, I think it's important. Um, and also it's important to have some people that can be really honest with you wherever they are in the world. Um, so the, the goal, the silver lining of, of the pandemic is I've talked more to colleagues from around the world that, you know, usually I would just see them at, um, at a conference or when I'm coming through Vancouver or, you know, when I, but now, you know, I can Zoom them at any hour <laughs> pretty much. So, um, so yeah, it's really important to stay in, you know, to seek out and stay in the community, whether it's through you know, meetup groups or conferences or, you know, just all the different opportunities that there are. And it does seem that there are even more opportunities to get connected um, into, you know, women in robotics or, you know, different, uh, there's so many podcasts, webcasts now where you can meet people. Also, there's lots of Slack communities now for robotics, which is kind of good too. So yeah, I think that that's kind of the upside. Um, so, you, but I, I think one of the key things is to find those communities and, and probably curate them, find the ones that you're going to put more effort into and, um, and then be a, a vibrant part of that community. Yeah, look, I, 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 I agree with you completely. And I suppose it's just managing your time and going like, how much time have you got available yeah. and, you know, where can you do it? Now, I have to ask you, have you heard of this app called Clubhouse? Clubhouse? No, yes, I haven't you, heard of Clubhouse. Uh, okay. You have to investigate this. This is a platform that you um, get invited to, so I'll immediately send you an invite. And there, it's it's like a radio station, twenty four hours a day. You dip in and out to platforms of people talking about all sorts of things. Okay. And um, I'm actually hesitating telling you about this because it's going to become an addiction to you. <laughs> and your husband is going to find me and say, "Why did you say something?" But it's it's fascinating. Okay. Um, Professor Catherine Ball um, is on the nerdy group and they talk about um, a lot of artificial intelligence too. And of course it's worldwide. So we've got all the Americans talking about the work that they're doing and every every um, subject under the sun. There's, there's nothing, you can talk about whatever and you can start a room. So um, I'm gonna, when we finish talking, I'm gonna send you an invite. Um, Registered, yeah, and then we can start. Let's talk robotics, and you can come up and moderate because I've actually got a room as well. So, see, I've already booked you. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, any closing thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with today? 
Well, I certainly would like to have the audience recognize that there's a lot of opportunity in engineering. Australia needs the talent. Australia needs engineers. Australia needs women in engineering. Um, Australia needs uh, industry to participate by getting involved in things like internship and co-op programs. But there's a fantastic future uh, for this area. And um, yeah, it's, it's time for Australia to really invest in it. Super, thank you so much. If anyone in the audience wants to contact you, um, is it okay if I put your email address out there? Sure. All right, and um, they can they can connect with you directly. Thank yeah. you so much for your time, Elizabeth. I, I um, so enjoyed our chat. I can't wait to come and see the precinct and um, I just wish you all the very best uh, with your continued success at, at Monash. Great, thanks so much, Nikki. Great to chat. Thank you, take care. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, bye.